Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Pastor started us off last week there in Philippians in this study entitled, No Matter What. No Matter What. So, um, we are just launching into this, and last week, Pastor launched us right there into chapter one, and we, we saw this idea where many times we decide to draw a line in the sand Sometimes in the wrong place. Uh, sometimes we, we determine that we're going to, to stand up for something to the point of being willing to die for it. And it's just an opinion, just a, a way of thinking. Uh, it could be politics. It could be some other avenue of life. And we say, no matter what, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe. And, and last week, Pastor really encouraged us, our no matter what should be Jesus himself. No matter what, Jesus This week, we're going to build on that study, no matter what, truth. No matter what, truth. If you say the word truth or true in our society today, is it normally met with a positive reaction? Probably not. Uh, As a matter of fact, most of our society today believes that there really is no such thing as truth. Truth is this relative term that keeps moving and shifting depending on who's the most prominent or who's in power. Uh, uh, Whoever's ideas are the biggest at that point in time, well, they're the ones who get to determine what is true and what isn't. If, If their opinion is that this is okay, well, then that's my opinion too. That's how I determine truth. Many, many, many people in our world today, that's exactly how their minds work. They, they focus on, well, this is what the general consensus is, so it must be true. It must be right, as if all of us can't make a mistake um, at the same time. I think that's been proven a few times in history as well. But nonetheless, that's how our world works for the most part. We talk about truth, and immediately their minds go to this relative term. There is no such thing as universal, verified truth to most people in our world today. And as we know and as we will see today, that is not true. Uh, Truth is defined in one person, Jesus Christ. He came to show us what truth really is himself. And he's given us truth through his word. And it's very important as we begin this study today that we lock on to the fact that Jesus himself, God himself, is truth. And he exposes truth to us through his word and through the reading of his word. So today we are going to look at a prayer that Paul has for the Philippian church. And uh, we're going to see how it parallels to the American church today. So uh, pastor left off in verse 6. We're in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And then we're going to continue on through our passage for today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse seven, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. 
For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, one thing to note as we read this, in Bible times, when someone was depicting or, or trying to show you that they, they wanted or they cared for something with, with everything in them, they would make one of two statements. A statement that we still use today, I, I blank with all of my heart. I love you with all of my heart. In Bible times, there was a second phrase that they would also use. I love you with all of my bowels. And that makes no sense to us today, but in in their time, it was just a reference to my inward person, who I am from the inside. I, whatever it is, with all of my heart, with everything that's inside of me, that's what Paul is saying here when he makes that statement, I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Um, He's just expressing to them, look, I want out of everything that I could possibly have, everything that I could possibly do, I want to be with you. I long to be in your company. I desire to be here with you, but I can't. I'm, I'm not able to be with you. So I'm writing this letter, this epistle that I'm going to send to you. And in so doing, Paul prays this very specific prayer that we're about to read. And each part of this prayer is building upon the part that came before it. So we'll see this here starting in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Paul is praying here that the Philippians would have a passion for knowledge of God's word, for truth. Because that is truth. God himself, God's word is truth. And in order for us to know what truth really is, we have to have knowledge of God's word. We have to have a passion, a love, a desire to learn the truth of God's word. Here's a quote from John MacArthur regarding this. He says, biblical love is not empty sentimentalism, but is anchored deeply in the truth of scripture and regulated by it. In other words, it's not just something that we came to a conclusion about one day and we're blindly following. Um, If so, If that's all that we're doing, we're just some bandwagon member that has been either manipulated or brainwashed into thinking that this is the right way to live life. We have no truth behind it. We have no knowledge of it. How, therefore, can we truly understand what it is that we say that we believe? If you truly care about something, you're going to learn about it, right? We've all heard the statement that love is blind, right? And, And we understand what it's talking about. We don't see the flaws of the person that we love. But in reality, love is not blind, for example. Um, husbands, if you don't pay any attention to your wife, you don't observe what's going on in her life, you don't, you know, realize that you're three days late on your anniversary, uh, if you don't recognize when she's angry or when she's happy, if you're not paying attention, you're in for a world of hurt and life is not going to be very happy uh, because you're not studying her, you're not observing her, you're not gaining knowledge of her, you're not gaining truth from her because you're not valuing her. How much more should we value? How much more should we study and learn from the God of the universe who created us, who made us, who who took 1,500 years of human history to tell us all about himself? Write it down on pen and paper so that we have the ability to read it today and have it here in our hands with us today. How much more should we desire to learn of him, to gain truth about him. It is vastly important that we love the truth of God's word that brings knowledge and discernment. As you would imagine, there's quite a few 
other places in scripture that talk about this very idea. We're going to look at a few of them. Ephesians 4.14 says this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cuffing, or cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Notice at the beginning of this, we looked at verse nine. It says, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in all knowledge and in judgment. I think this is twofold. Yes, we should love and desire to get truth and knowledge so that we can have judgment and discernment and so on. But it's also saying that our love itself, what we're expected to show other people, should be full of knowledge and truth. When we love the truth of God's word, we're going to gain it. We're going to have it within us. But now it's our responsibility to share that truth in love. Sometimes we're really good at sharing truth, but we're not really good on the love part. And we're whacking them over the head with truth and we're telling them what they're doing wrong and and how they've got it all wrong. And we may be right, but We're commanded to show love and be able to give them the truth and love at the same time. We see that here in this passage. Proverbs 1, and there's going to be a couple verses that I'm reading from here, talk about this this same concept of the importance of truth and gaining knowledge from the truth of God's word. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Verse 22, how long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorner delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Verse 29, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Each of those, it showed that this is a choice. They recognize that there is truth, but they choose to be foolish instead. This is a willing choice that they made. Scripture tells us what happens when we don't love truth and we don't seek after truth and knowledge from God's word. And we see this in Romans chapter one. Uh, Eugene Peterson summarized it like this. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate. As people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They traded the glory of God, who holds the whole world in his hand, for cheap figurines that you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy on the inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God. They worshiped the God that they made instead of the God who made them. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, They soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. There was rampant evil. It's not as if they didn't know any better. They knew perfectly well that they were spitting in God's face, but they didn't care. Worse, they would hand out prizes to those who did the worst things best. That's what the world looks like when it refuses the truth of God. Notice, they knew that God was real. They they understood the reality of God, but they rejected the truth of God. And in so doing, we see a world very much like what we see today. People who have openly rejected the God of the universe, they have set him to the side, and now, as scripture was talking about, men don't even know how to be men anymore. 
Women don't even know how to be women anymore. This is a result of godlessness. Our culture is leaning in that direction very heavily, isn't it? A lack of truth. A lack of desire for the truth. In all reality, they know that there is truth. They just know where that truth is supposed to come from. And they don't like that at all. That means if there is truth, that means that there is a God. If there is a God, then that means that the way that they're living isn't right. And they're not willing to admit it. Our world today is based off of this fact. If there is a God, that means I have to follow his rules. I have to follow his way of life. I don't want to do that, so there can't be a God. So let's make up all sorts of stories that we can to to try and prove that there isn't one. Our entire scientific system is based off of that idea. We've rejected the truth of God. And our society is suffering because of it. Paul's prayer for the Philippian church applies to the American church today very clearly. I pray that we will love truth and that because we've gained that truth and that knowledge, now we can speak the truth in love. Love the truth. But notice, once again, these these requests that Paul is making, they kind of stack like steps. It's important that we love truth so that we can gain knowledge. So that, secondly, we can effectively discern. We have gained knowledge so that we can effectively discern. Look at verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Once again, we've gained truth through God's word, but now it's time for us to use that truth. Actually use it in the real world, in a real life setting. When we apply the truth of God's word to our everyday lives, that would be discernment taking what we know about God and what God has said and looking at the world around us and making wise decisions based off of that. Understanding what God has said or what God has not said about whatever the topic may be. I like the definition that is given to us here in this verse, actually. I think it's a good definition for this word um, discern. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Notice it doesn't even say approve things that are good. It's already specifying that there's a difference between better and best. It's approving things that are excellent. Discernment is something that takes effort. It takes work. It takes time. It's not not something that we just unlock at level seven and we happen to be experts on it as soon as we reach that level. This is something that as we're gaining truth from God's word, now we're able to take it to the next step. We gain more truth from God's word, then we can take it to the next step. We gain more truth from God's word, then we can take it to the next step. This is a lifelong process of learning and application, discerning life as it comes to us. Being able to use the truths of God's word appropriately in our everyday life. That's what we're talking about with this idea of discernment. There's a couple verses that I'm going to reference here. 1 John 4, 1 says this. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. God wants us to try to discern what is true from what is not. So much so that he's saying of a spiritual nature, look, there's false prophets out there. They're everywhere. They were were false prophets in that day. There's false prophets in our day. Just because somebody has a microphone on YouTube does not mean that what they're saying is true. Just because I'm standing on this platform and I have a microphone does not mean that what I'm saying is true. It is the job of the believer to take God's word for themselves and discern what is coming out of my mouth. 
to discern what is coming out of the mouths of others that you're listening to. It is up to you. God expects you to do this, to take his word and check what I'm saying. To take his word and say, I see. I see where that came from. Or otherwise say, uh, Pastor Tyler, I don't think that that's right. Let me, let me show you why. That is the responsibility of the believer to discern things of a spiritual nature as well. It is not just for Pastor Ray. It is not just for dads in your household. This is for every single believer to do. It is our responsibility to take the knowledge and the truth of God's word and discern right from wrong, better from best all the time. And so much so that it's of a spiritual nature as well not just of the things that we see in the physical world. Hebrews 5.14, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The illustration in this passage is the idea that a baby, obviously, doesn't have teeth. They can't chew on steak or ribs or chicken. They can't have all the good things in life just yet. Um, they're, they're stuck with milk, maybe oatmeal, you know, soft stuff. Not really difficult stuff. So to put it in illustration, the immature Christian, the young, the baby Christian, they can deal with simple stuff. Milk problems like thou shalt not kill. That's a fairly obvious one. Thou shalt not uh, murder. Yeah, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Those are obvious things that a baby Christian, they're good. They've got that. They, they, there's no issue there. But as a Christian matures, they're able to start discerning more difficult things, things that lie underneath the surface, things that you wouldn't see unless you were very, very specifically looking for them. Uh, For example, determining who may or may not be a positive influence in your life. What types of media or entertainment is not just okay, but truly beneficial in your life. Determining motives. Understanding consequences of actions long before those consequences actually take shape. These are examples of things that will require much more effort to discern than just looking on the outside and say, oh, yep, we're good. Uh, Black, white, yes, no, I've got that. Discernment is a lot more than that. Discernment takes time and effort and energy to be able to look at what lay in front of you and make a correct decision. And scripture goes this far, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, we need the Holy Spirit in us to be able to discern spiritual things. That's the missing element in many of, in, in much of the world around us. This is why the world, when they come upon a topic, their conclusion about that topic is usually pretty different than what ours is because they can't discern things of a spiritual nature. They can't understand things of a spiritual nature because the Holy Spirit is not within them, helping them make this discerning choice. If we find in our own lives that we're not succeeding in this whole area of discernment, of taking the truth of God's word and applying it in our lives in a good way, then chances are the Holy Spirit's not active. He's not a part of that, either because we truly haven't We don't have the Holy Spirit in us because we're not saved or we keep pushing the Holy Spirit to the side and say, hey, I've got this. I've got this. Hold on, Holy Spirit. I've got this one. I'll put this on my shoulders. Don't worry. You sit to the side. I can make this decision without your help. Honestly, many of us probably do that without realizing it. We don't take any time to pray about 
important decisions or discerning moments. We just think that we've got it. We know. We know what we should do and what we shouldn't do right off the top of our heads. We don't even take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit within us for help and guidance. Uh, Scripture says that is a must when it comes to discerning the important areas of life and, and many times the areas that are, don't seem so important. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to allow us to discern biblically. Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things and then hold fast to that which is good. That word fast, the idea of, of holding firmly, tightly, not letting go. Hold fast to it. That word prove means to test or to try, to examine. You know, we do this in life all the time. You buy a new pair of clothes, new pair of shoes. You go home, you try it on. You immediately evaluate its fit if you didn't already do that in the store, right? Then you determine, nope, that's not working. <laughs> we got to take that one back to the store. We got to get a, another size. We got to, I've discerned that this one is not the right fit, okay? Uh, we study in the middle of July when our power bill is $150 more than normal. We start to evaluate our power consumption a little more, don't we? We start to look at, hey, maybe we need to set the thermostat to 78 instead of 72. Maybe we'll save some energy and, and some money here. We're evaluating. We're discerning what's taking place in our lives. Um, we compare prices of produce from one store to the next. Then, based off of that price comparison, we determine, hey, is this whole membership to Costco thing actually benefiting me at all? And, and we sit here, we, we do this kind of thing in life all the time. Some of us are really, really good at that kind of evaluation. Yet somehow, we, there's a disconnect between that kind of evaluation and spiritual evaluation, spiritual discernment. It's as if we have this mathematical knowledge that works here, but somehow we're not able to apply spiritual knowledge that we should have over here. There's a disconnect in many of our lives. If we can evaluate the simple areas of life, why should we not also be able to evaluate and discern the heart of our children rather than just the actions of our children? Why, why should we not be able to evaluate the actual message behind the media that we consume? There's always a message. Or are we just too busy saying, oh, no, that's a bad word, or oh, that's a bad scene, just skip those two areas, but the rest of it must be okay. Is that truly discernment? Just because something isn't bad, does that mean that it's automatically good? That idea, we, we must be able to discern. We must be able to look at the world around us through the lens of Scripture and be able to come to a conclusion of not what is just okay, not of what is just better, but what is actually best. Um, think about an inspector, right? Someone who, who inspects something. For example, Tim Good, he is an inspector for the railroad. And what he does is he goes to railroad crossings. He observes the physical portion of the railroad to make sure that the, the gates, the, they come down properly and that they go up properly, that everything works well, all the lights, everything, everything is doing what it's supposed to do. He's also observing the operators that are driving the trains. Uh, he's, a, he's observing what they're doing. He's making sure that they're doing things safely, that they're doing things the proper way. He's observing very carefully. If there's an issue, someone's life may very well depend on it. And it's up to him to make sure that everything is being run safely and properly. In our lives, that same level of enthusiasm, that same level of significance should be applied to making even simple decisions in our lives with discernment. Every little fork that comes into the road of life, 
requires accurate discernment. You know, Paul said it like this, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Once again, just because something is good doesn't mean that it's best, or because something isn't wrong doesn't mean that it's automatically right. Not all things are expedient. Not all things are best, even though they may be lawful. They may not be the best thing to do. The Holy Spirit can guide us in discernment. It is of utmost importance that we have discernment. So follow, follow this, this prayer. Paul prays, first of all, that we would love truth, therefore that we will gain knowledge of God's word so that we will be able to discern. Now, thirdly, so that we may be genuine. So that we may be genuine. Look back at verse 10, the second portion there, the second half of it. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That word sincere means pure, blameless, or genuine. I was talking with Pastor Ray earlier this week in preparation for this, and he mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. Um, In his study of this particular word, he came across something very interesting about its history. So uh, how many of you like to use fine china uh, from time to time? Do you own fine china? I know this used to be probably a little more popular than what it is now. My mom, she loved it. We have some that we have hidden way high so that children don't break them. Um, But we, we have some fine china. We have some pottery, for example. And if you've ever paid attention, maybe you've been washing these dishes and you, you turn them over on the bottom, you might have seen a phrase or, or, or just a statement before. The two words, seen Sarah. If you've ever recognized that, there's a very historically accurate reason why that word is there. So in Bible times, what people would do, they would make pottery and from time to time, they would have certain vessels that they had created it would crack or it would have some kind of a fissure or some kind of an issue with it and it would virtually make the pot useless. Uh, somebody would try to use it just one time and it would fail. But they would charge full price for it because they've already made it. They can't undo what they've made and they're trying to make money off of it. So people would try to be dishonest. And what they would do is they would take a piece of pottery that had a crack or a hole, they would fill it with wax, something, something solid, and then they would coat it with paint, and then they would coat it again with their, that gloss so that no one with their naked eye could determine that there was a flaw in the pottery. So the only way that someone could determine if they were about to be swindled or not is they would take this vessel and they would stick it up in the sunlight. And in doing so, the sun would shine through those portions that had just wax. So people could identify very clearly this is counterfeit. This isn't genuine. This isn't the real deal. This isn't sincere. So what pottery makers began to do is they would predetermine, they would pre-sort their fine pottery and their fine cookware and such, and they would actually put that word sincera at the bottom, and the words mean without wax. They're legitimate. They're real. They're genuine. And that begs the question today, do we have wax in some of the cracks of our life? Are we just a facade that looks like the real deal on the outside, but really on the inside, man, we're holding it together with anything that we can. We don't want you to really know what we are. We look the part on the outside, but on the inside, no, we're going to fail. 
We're gonna, we, we have flaws. We're broken. You just don't know it yet. In Scripture, there's a number of examples of people who were tried, some of them literally by fire. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were actually thrown into a fiery furnace. They were trial by fire to its definition. And they thought probably at that moment in time, this is the end. They were genuine about their relationship with God, so much so that they were willing to die. That wasn't what God's plan was for them. God literally stood with them there in the fire, as we sung about earlier today. A beautiful moment. Very clearly showing these guys, they were genuine. Daniel, he was thrown into a lion's den. He was willing to die for the cause of God. And once again, proven to be genuine. Jo- uh, Joseph, proven to be genuine. So many stories all throughout scripture we can look at where people were, they were held up to the light. They were, they were put through the fire and they were proven to be genuine. There were other times where people failed. They were put up to the light. I think of Peter. It doesn't mean that he wasn't saved or that he wasn't believing, but this was a moment of failure. Peter was put in a difficult situation on the night of Jesus's uh, crucifixion the night before. He denied Christ three times. He lied in front of people's faces to the point of cursing. And he heard the rooster crow and he recognized exactly what he had done. Trial by fire, he failed. But that failure invigorated him to go on and become one of the most important figures of the early church. Just because there might have been a crack that was filled with wax doesn't mean that he was useless. doesn't mean that he wasn't fit for use for the king. It just meant that he had some cracks that needed to be addressed, some problems that needed to be fixed. Through testing, through testing, you will be tested and you should be testing. It goes both ways. You should be testing and proving constantly what is genuine and what is not in the world around you and in your life. And people will also be testing you to see if you are genuine, to see if you are the real deal. In many ways, this is, in my opinion, a a major missing component within the church today. This idea of being genuine. We are really good at looking right on the outside, but sometimes it's really the essence of what we are supposed to be that we miss entirely. As my dad would say, it's, it's kind of like missing the forest for the trees. Right? You see the trees, and for us desert dwellers, um, this concept here, let me explain. Uh, the, the forest in this, in this example represents Christ. Christianity as a whole, that's the forest. Yet within Christianity, sometimes we get so bent on certain things, certain doctrines or certain preachers or pastors that we want to follow or certain practices that we uphold, that these individual trees all of a sudden become more important than the forest as a whole. And now someone on the outside, their eyes are drawn to that tree way over here or, or this tree over here, and they can tell that, man, that tree wants to chop that tree down. What is going on? They're, they're distracted by the trees, and they can't even see the forest. This idea that, that as believers, instead of drawing people to Christ, we are often showing ourselves drawing people to ourselves and what it is that we think and what it is that we believe or how, what our opinion is about this or that. What's so ironic is that to the person that's on the outside of the forest, they can clearly see what's going on. They can tell when this tree over here is trying to 
to get all the attention and, and get all the nutrients so it can grow bigger and taller and, and so on. It's very obvious to them. Yet to that tree, they don't see it. They don't recognize that that's what, we're, that the, that's what they're doing. The same is true in our lives. When we are not being genuine, when we're not pointing others back to Christ, we're too busy pointing others to ourselves, everyone sees it, specifically those that are not a part of the body of Christ. Your boss, your neighbor, your children, they see our cracks, they see our flaws, they see when we're being fake, they see when we're being real, they are judging, they are determining, they are testing every single moment of your life. And they know whether you're real or not. They observe, and they can very accurately determine, no, that guy, he talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. No, I've seen too many people like that fall and fail. I've seen too many pastors at the height of their ministry be found out for some sin in their life. I've seen too many people who claim the name of Christ act like a hypocrite. I'm never going to go and go to that church. I'm never going to go believe in this Jesus that they talk of. Is that not the number one reason that people in our world today reject Christianity? Is because of trees that point to themselves rather than to the forest? Because of members of the body? Remember the illustration, the body of Christ? The pinky is declaring so much that he wants to be the brain and, and, and everything is, is jumbled and, and drawing attention to itself that no one even pays attention to the actual body itself. They're too focused on one specific aspect. It's not found to be genuine. It's found to be false. It's not sincere. Through testing, you will find if something is truly sincere or not. Once again, each request that Paul is making here in this prayer is stacking on what came before it. Because we love truth, we'll gain knowledge. Because we love truth, we'll be able to effectively discern. Because we love truth, now, lastly, we, well, we, we will be genuine, and then lastly, that will produce fruit. If we're not genuine, we can't produce fruit. If we're not truly being able to discern, we're not going to be genuine. If we're not gaining the knowledge of God's word through truth, then how can we possibly discern? All of these things build upon each other. So lastly here, Paul is praying that we will be fruitful. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Once again, I think this is another verse that's twofold. It's the same coin, but opposite sides here. First, you will benefit from a life of righteousness. The laws that God gave to us to follow benefit us. Yes, they benefit him as well, but they benefit us. God, God established the home. He provided structure for what a marriage should look like, for what a family relationship should look like between uh, father and mother, father and children, mother and children. All of that is established in scripture. As soon as we start to deviate from God's design, it turns to disaster really quickly. We see that in our culture more and more every day. We see the difficulties that come from when people don't follow God's standard it benefits us to follow God's standard. He's telling us that the fruits that we will bear from righteousness will benefit us, but the fruits that we bear will also benefit others. It will also benefit others. Because you desire truth, you gain knowledge of God's word, and now you're able to share the truth of God's word with others in love. Remember, sharing the truth in love. Truth also gives us the ability to discern. Now others will see our discernment and our discretion. 
And instead of pointing it to us, it will point them to Christ. They can see it. They can observe it in our lives. That discretion will prove that we are genuine, which is by far one of the most important things a non-believer should see in the life of a believer, is a genuine relationship with Christ, not some legalistic set of standards and rules that you follow. Um, this, it's not grade school. This is real life. God expects us to be true to him from the inside, not just from the outside. Think of it this way. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We talked about this a few weeks back when we were talking about discipleship. But bring, bring your mind back to this concept of a grapevine. You've got a, vi- a vineyard, a grapevine that's coming up. The grapevine itself does not pr- produce fruit. It's the branches. The, the vine produces the branches. The branches are what produces the fruit. So it is beneficial for the vine that there be branches. It is greatly beneficial for the branch that it be attached to the vine. If it's not attached to the vine, it's got a big problem because it's going to turn into firewood very shortly. So the branch benefits by being attached to the vine. The vine benefits by being attached to the branch because it's through the branch that fruit can be born. If we want to truly be able to, to benefit others, it's in bearing fruit. As the branch, that's us, as the branch, we're attached to the vine. That's where our life, that's where the Holy Spirit's power comes from. We're attached so that we can share the gospel. That is the fruit that is being extended. And it's only through the seed of the fruit that someone outside of the vine can become part of the vine. Every part is benefiting. Every part, because of this, this desire for truth and and all of the steps that follow, this, the fruit that is born benefits us, it benefits non-believers, and it benefits the ministry and the cause of Christ. The kingdom of heaven is benefited because of this. John 15, 8, herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. But notice that first phrase, herein is my Father glorified. This is how the Father is glorified, that you bear fruit. That last phrase in verse 11, unto the glory and praise of of God. I think that summarizes everything in this prayer fairly well. This isn't about us. This is about him. It starts with him, his truth, right? This is all about him from the very beginning. Because we've learned more about him, we're able to show that truth and knowledge in love. And now we're able to discern. And now we're able to, 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 to be genuine. And people can see that in our lives. And now we can begin bearing fruit of his It all points back to him. It's all giving glory back to God. Bringing glory and praise to God. If every Christian truly lived for the glory and the praise of God, this whole um, can't see the forest for the trees issue wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be drawing attention to ourselves instead of attention to God. We would be drawing everyone directly to him and to him alone. Love truth. That's Paul's prayer. The beginning of this prayer. The really, the key component, love truth. No matter what, no matter what comes in life, you need to be seeking after truth. Because only then, only with truth, will you be able to discern what comes in life. Will you be able to make wise decisions, biblical decisions, about things both great and small. Only then can you prove to the world that you're the real deal, that you're sincere, that you're genuine, that you're true, that you're not just filled with wax and coated over to look like you're a Christian, 
but you genuinely, truly are. And then as the world sees that, they observe your discretion, they, uh, they observe that you're genuine, they see all these things taking place in your life, you will begin to bear fruit. They'll see the fruit that you bear in your own life and the benefits that come from living this kind of righteous life. And then they too will be drawn to Christ because of you. I make this statement almost every time I preach, I feel like, but it's, it's so good, I have to say it. You may be the only Bible that someone will ever read. You may truly, truly, they may never pick up this book. They may never even admit that they're interested. But they see you. They recognize Mr. Christian over there or Mrs. Christian over there. They see you at home. They see you at work. They see your interactions with your spouse and with your children and and with the people that are in your life. They're observing you all the time. And they are going to come to a determination about you. That sincera at the bottom of your piece of pottery, of your vessel, is it the real deal? Because they know. They can tell. Through testing, through trying, by holding it up to the sun, they can tell whether we're real or whether we're not. Today, Paul, he's praying, I pray that this church, the Philippian church, today the American church, that we will love truth no matter what. Seek after truth because God is truth. Lord, we thank you for these passages of scripture today. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about him and as you study his word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.